Um, I also want to just make us aware of a few things um, that are happening uh, pertaining to Christmas. And so uh, we love Christmas, and so we have some specific things I just want to make you aware of. One of those is uh, you'll, you'll notice inside of the River Guide we have these, um, these envelopes, and these, they say on them, uh, Christmas offering. And um, here, here's the challenge. Uh, I, I would just ask you guys to, to, to pray and, and just ask God if there would be um, just that, that he might be calling you to, to give above and beyond your regular giving uh, to this special Christmas offering. We've been kind of letting you know a little bit about it um, in some of our mailings. And now it's the first time I just want to um, publicly announce it to you. And, and, and I would just ask you to pray about it and see what God might have you to give. There are uh, three specific things that the offering is going to go and, and help uh, towards. And so one of those is it's going to create for us a budget for 2012 for our new uh, kids ministry at the Washington Beach Housing Complex, uh, Kids Connect. And so last week we had our very first one. We had 30 kids, and, and the ladies worked really hard and, and pulled it together. And a lot of kids got to hear about Jesus and the Christmas story as, uh, as uh, Crystal articulated it. So it was a really great time. And so uh, a big part of the offering, the, the, the special Christmas offering, is going to go towards that to help us create a budget for 2012 um, since it's not really... Uh, in the plans, and so we'll do that and uh, see what God does uh, through the giving. Also, uh, the giving is going to go help us to help us uh, a few specific families out who have some needs this Christmas. And so, uh, if, if if you give, know that you're giving to some people uh, who have some needs. And then also, uh, a portion of the giving will also help out um, what we call our international mission board, and we send money overseas to help uh, people who are doing, doing ministry all over the world. And so, your funds kind of go help us. Uh, to continue the work of the Great Commission. And so uh, as you pray through what God would uh, have you to give above and beyond your regular giving, just be mindful that what you're doing is you're really helping us uh, in engaging in our mission of connecting Boston and beyond to Christ. And so you really kind of help us propel that. And so uh, if you want to grab that envelope, take it home, uh, bring it back next week. And so tonight and then next week and then at the uh, Christmas Eve Eve, December 23rd, gathering, we will um, be uh, just passing the baskets and you have the opportunity to do that. And so what you would do is if your, your offering is going specifically to the Christmas offering, you can put it in the envelope. Otherwise, you can put your regular offering uh, just right in the basket there. And so pray about that. And, and I would challenge us to, to consider, it only seems appropriate to consider that our most extravagant gift this year would be a gift to the Lord. And so uh, be mindful of that. The other thing I just wanted to remind us about pertaining to Christmas is that uh, Christmas Eve Eve candlelight service that we're going to have right here. And so uh, it's going to be a really meaningful night, family friendly, so the kids will come in and um, we'll have a really nice time together. We'll sing a lot of Christmas songs. Uh, Kristen's going to be playing uh, piano, I believe. And so it'll be a really, really uh, nice night. We'll have some scripture reading, a a brief uh, devotional on the the Christmas story, and uh, it'll just be really special. And so I want to encourage you uh, to do that. I've done some reading and found out that, you know, most people uh, plan on going to some kind of Christmas uh, service of sorts, some kind of spiritual service, and so let's let that be uh, the 23rd. And so I would encourage you, challenge you, if you have family and friends, make it a point to invite them, encourage them to come and, and to join you for that. And we will uh, go 7 to 8 o'clock at night, and we'll end promptly at 8 o'clock. And so we'll have worship that Friday night. We will not be meeting in here for worship on Christmas Day. Doesn't mean we're not worshiping, right? What we're going to do is we're actually going to post on the website 
a uh, video uh, worship guide for you, maybe your family, maybe some of you are, are kind of hanging around for the holidays with other people, and maybe you just want to get them together and watch the video. So we'll have that online for you, for you to watch that and to worship the Lord in that way. It'll be a little more condensed, but it'll be a good time to make sure that Christmas morning is not all about opening up those presents, right? But it's also clearly all about Christ and get us focused on that. And so all kinds of Christmas stuff. Just want to get you in the know about that. But why don't we pray and then we'll get right into uh, the word tonight. So let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this night that you've given us. And God, I just pray that, Lord, tonight you would focus our hearts in on you. God, would you take uh, just the things that are heavy on our minds as we come in this place tonight. Would you just take those right out of the way? And Lord, would you just give me a special anointing of your Holy Spirit? You know that I need it tonight uh, to articulate your word clearly. And Lord, I pray that you would bring about the heart change that is necessary uh, when we speak your word. I pray that you would illuminate it to our minds, to our hearts, and lead us to change, to life change from your scripture. God, we, we love you. We are so, so grateful for who you are. We are so grateful that you have made yourself known to us. That you're not some distant, far off God, but you are involved in every detail of our lives. So grateful for that, God. And Lord, may we just sit tonight in just the, the weight of all of that truth as we look at your word and, and see that you came to be one of us, to walk with us, that you are tempted in every way that we are, yet you are without sin. So you know our pain that we carry into this room tonight, a pain that is, is often increased during the Christmas season. And so, God, I just pray that you would uh, just give us a, a very real sense of that tonight. Lord, use your word to encourage where we need encouragement. Lord, use your word to, to penetrate where we need a challenge and use it as you see fit. God, we thank you for the time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to go ahead and uh, flip open to Philippians chapter 2, that's where we're going to land tonight, Philippians chapter 2. I just, I can't seem to get away from this passage of scripture. It's always, always just, just uh, challenging me and... Uh, you know, I want you to know that as a pastor, it doesn't mean I'm, I'm some kind of professional Christian. Uh, I struggle. I really do. And uh, this one is, is, a, is a real challenge to me. And so I think it's appropriate for us to kick off the, the, the Christmas season uh, in that tonight. So while you're flipping there, I'll tell you a little story. When I was, when I was younger, uh, my brother and I kind of went through this season of life where we were really into paintball. Right? We just, we loved paintball for like six months, and it was, it was big for us. And uh, I, I, won't, I won't assume that everybody knows exactly what paintball is, but basically what paintball is, it's a pretty high-powered gun with, instead of a bullet, it's a ball with paint in it, right? And so rather than you having a bullet that would penetrate your flesh, you would have a, a ball that would just smack you, and it would really hurt, and the paint would splatter. And uh, the cool thing was that you could live to tell the story, right? And that was always fun. You could talk about how you got shot, and oh, you got me right there, it was awesome, and so my brother and I love that, my, uh, my wife is a major girl, I mean, just, she's totally a, a girl all the way, and she doesn't get it, like, she, she just doesn't get it, guys, you get it, maybe some of the other ladies in the room don't get it, but she's always just baffled with how us, us men enjoy inflicting pain upon each other, and receiving pain, there's just something 
for men that's just, it's just enjoyable. Uh, you know, for, for, for example, when, when we were in college, this, this is actually not just exclusive to my college, but it's pretty common I hear in college halls, is the guys will have, you know, guys' dorm fight nights, right? You bust out the boxing gloves and you just, you just wail on each other. And then in the end, you're laughing and you're hugging and you're bleeding. It's great. You know, it's just a, it's just a thing guys do and we enjoy that. I thought... I thought having two boys, my wife would, you know, start to come around. She still was just like, what are you doing? How do you, why is that fun? We're smacking each other and we're laughing. It's, it's a good time. And so that's kind of how it is with paintball. It's, it, it can be painful, right? But we, we enjoy it. And so my brother and I, what we did is we set up this, this course because for the longest time, he had the paintball gun. He's younger than me and he always had more money than I did for some, some reason. He was just really good with his money. He still does, right? And so... I'm a pastor. I guess that's not hard, though, so not a lot of credit to him. And so, so he always had more money than me, so he got the paintball gun first. And so for the longest time, it was just he and I and one gun. And so we came up with this uh, American Gladiator-style game that we loved to play. And what it was was it was usually him, because he had the gun, uh, would, would perch up on our porch, which was on a, kind of on the second floor of, of the house, overlooking this kind of this lower uh, wooded area that we had. And what we did is we built this course that had all these little bases, and each base would kind of incrementally get a little closer and closer and closer to the gun. And so, so the, the point was, is that usually me, but sometimes I could talk him into you know, going out there and letting me shoot at him, but usually I would go all the way to the other side of the, of the lot where we lived, and I would slowly, you know, kind of incrementally work myself up to almost to the, about 20 feet or so from the gun where there was a flag. Uh, position and the goal was to get the flag and his goal was to to shoot me before I could get the flag and so you would kind of go from one base to the next to the next to the next and um, you know we 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 were able to kind of let our minds go wild with this you know what I mean we just kind of it was more than paintball in our minds it'd be like some kind of mission and the flag was enemy territory and it was you know we were we're going to rescue this beautiful woman over in enemy territory and so we just we would let our minds just go we're going to save the day and it was uh it, it was a, it was a really fun thing that we do but you know it was paintball though it, i mean it was it was paintball it wasn't the real deal but we really could we could really uh get into this because when when you got hit by a ball it you know it hurt you know some kids kind of the the wussier kids in the neighborhood would would load up layers and layers of clothes and and sometimes i even knew one kid that it was his big secret but he would put his uh his, uh, you know, his chest pads from his being a catcher in baseball underneath his shirt. And we thought he was just tough as nails, but he was, a, you know, he, was a, he was a smooth cat, smooth operator. And so we would just psych ourselves up. We're going into battle. We're going into the mission. And uh, understanding that all along the way, there'd be these, you know, these pain inflictors whizzing by our head. And it was just, for us, it was super fun, super exciting. We had a, we had a mission to accomplish. We were out to to save the girl from behind enemy lines. I don't know. I don't know how she got there, but you know, it was a girl nonetheless in our minds. And so this week as I was, as I was studying some of the Christmas passages and, and just preparation um, for uh, what we're going to share tonight and look at tonight, um, as I was reading along, I was, I, I was kind of stopped at uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 74 in the NASB uh, translation. Um, and, 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 and as I'm reading along, I just kind of stop at this one word, Luke 1, 74, and it, it, it's the word rescue. The word rescue, I just kind of hung out there, and basically here's what happens, and we'll put the screen, or the verse on the screen for you. Basically, 
uh, Zechariah, who's more or less Jesus' uncle, uh, prophesies. And he prophesies that, that Jesus was placed in Mary's womb to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. So, so Christ had come or was coming. He was inside of the womb of Mary. This is what he prophesies. So that we could be rescued, right? And so throughout the course of this, this Christmas season, it, it's so easy for us just to kind of get our, our minds stuck on solely the nativity and, and the story, you know, that is so well known that, that, that Linus reads to us in a Charlie Brown Christmas. It, it's kind of easy just to get ourselves there and stopping there and forgetting that Jesus was on a mission, right? That Jesus was on this rescue mission. And so we sing the song, you know, silent night, uh, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. But all wasn't calm, right? All wasn't bright and, and, and silent. All of hell was trembling because the Savior, the one who was victorious, was on the planet now, right? He's on the planet, on a mission, kind of behind enemy lines, right? I mean, uh, he created it. John 1 says that he spoke it into existence. Christ was there in the beginning. Uh, but things had gone south, right? And Satan was, was really at work on the planet and, and so Jesus is on the planet now. Jesus is doing a serious work. He is here on a rescue mission. And so we sing all is calm. And maybe right in that moment it was, but the, the, the forces of hell were trembling. You notice as you get in the, the early ministry of Jesus, you see all kinds of just demonic things happening around Jesus. Have you ever thought about how heightened the demonic is around the early ministry of Jesus? It's because they were going nuts. Jesus is here. They know he's capable. He is going to rescue us from Satan and sin and death. And so be mindful this Christmas that though the nativity is a beautiful picture and we celebrate that Christ has come to, to earth, the baby is, is laying there in the, in the manger because it's, it's step number one towards hanging on a cross. And so be very, very mindful of that tonight. And I think it's only fitting that uh, tonight is our, our night that we uh, partake of, of communion together so that we can not only focus on the coming of Jesus, but the coming of Jesus to what end? To give of himself on the cross. And so we take the bread representing his body and, and the juice representing of his blood that was shed for us. And so as we gather around the communion table tonight, let's be very mindful that I think it's appropriate this Christmas season that we be mindful of the cross and, and what he was doing. And so... Remember, his birth happened, and very important and necessary, but it led to his death on our behalf. And so, God enters into the world as Jesus of Nazareth, and he would be taking steps and steps and steps closer to the cross. You notice his journey brings him closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem, where he would lay down his life, and he would ultimately rescue us. So when my brother and I would would play paintball, every step towards the completion of the mission was also a step closer to the barrel of the gun, right? It was a step closer to, to pain, right? The closer you were to the gun, the, the, the more painful it was. And along the way, Jesus' ministry was just increasingly painful until we see him on that one night agonizing and just praying, God, God, would you, 
Could you remove this cup from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but, but thy will be done. And then he goes forward with the cross. Jesus was on a mission. He lived on a mission. In fact, in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, here's my mission. I came to seek and save that which is lost. So, so here's Jesus on, on a rescue mission. And his rescue mission would end in his death on our behalf, but not his defeat. Jesus is not defeated. He resurrects back to life because death has no hold on God. And so for the remainder of the night tonight, what I want to do is, is I want to just keep thinking on the fact that he came. He came. He came. That's big news. He came so that he would die. And so tonight we think on he came. And the next week what we're going to do is we're going to think on the fact that he conquered. He came. And then we'll see that, that he conquered. And so he came is really... Um, you know, in, in terms of theology, is really kind of summed up in this one word. It's, it's w- the word incarnation. Uh, it really gets thrown around a lot uh, this time of year, Christmas time, the incarnation. And, and the word comes uh, from the Latin in caro, or the stem, carn. You can hear the word carnivorous, right, in there, right? Flesh is, is the word. And, and what it means is God has come in the flesh. That God is, is spirit, but God takes on human so I want to kind of help us get this theologically speaking, and then we'll kind of move into uh, methodologically speaking. Here's a, here's a theology, and hang with me a little bit here. I want to make sure we get this, that, that God is God in three persons, Father, Son, and, and Spirit. That's why Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, uh, it, God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So God singular says, let us, our, our likeness, right? And so we have God is one, but he's also in three persons. And so uh, last week we we baptized seven people here. It was an incredible time, really, really special time for us. And we baptized them as Jesus commands us to in Matthew, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we have the, the three there. And so three persons, yet one. And so we get the word Trinity from tri, three, unity, smash them together, Trinity. And so this doctrine is held uh, by every Orthodox Christian tradition, the, the incarnation. And in the incarnation, we have Jesus, the Son of God, Spirit, obeying God the Father when he tells him to come to earth to be a man. That's why in, in Galatians chapter 4, uh, verse 4, it says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son. He said, let's go. Here's what I want you to do. It's, it's time for you to go. The fullness of time had come. And so when we see the, the nativity scene, when we think on Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, and we see that, understand that is the fullness of time. God's waiting for every detail to come together. And he says, go. I was just looking on uh, YouTube just the other day, just kind of this, this recap of the the Somali pirates, and when they, uh, you know, they had that one captain of the ship, and they, they, it was a long process. You remember, we were watching on the news kind of with anticipation for quite a while, and they were waiting for the perfect moment to end it, right, and to save this guy. God says, when the fullness of time had come, he had been lining everything up. God is sovereign over history. Everything come together perfect. He says, now's the time. I'm sending forth my son in the form of the flesh. He's going to take on human flesh. He's going to be fully God, fully man. Let's do this. He sends him forth. And notice it says, uh, he, when the fullness of, of time comes, God sent him. And so Jesus had to be obedient to what God the Father told him to do. 
That's why where we're going to land tonight in Philippians chapter 2, it ends in uh, verse 8 saying, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, Jesus humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. And so that's why we end with communion tonight. And so God the Son becoming man was his beautiful act of humble uh, obedience, right? God the Father didn't put the, the full Nelson on, on the Son and say, you better go, go right now. No, he said, here's what I'm asking you to do. And he perfectly displays obedience for us and he goes and God sends him, he'll get, he goes, he shows that he is submitting to God the Father. That's why we can have, which is so hard for our world to grasp, we can have authority and leadership in the church, in marriage, and family. We can have that, yet we can have equality. It's, it's possible for, for, as the Bible says, for wives to submit to their husbands, yet be equal. See, we can have that because it's displayed for us perfectly in the Trinity, that Jesus submitted to the call of God the Father, yet they are completely equal. That's why Jesus often says, I and the Father are one. We are one. And then Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit, John 16. And so we see this beautiful tri-unity, God and three persons, unified, unified. And so he comes, and notice when he comes, he comes as Jesus of Nazareth, right? Not Jesus of Rome, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, if I had my choice, it would, I would be Josh of New York City, right? I would go to like the, the most flashy city I can think of. You know, I, I would be Josh of, of Fifth Avenue, right? Or the Upper West Side, right? But I'm, I'm Josh of West Roxbury, right? He, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, Nazareth was this kind of hick town that had a, a stigma. That's why in John chapter 1, verse 46, Nathaniel says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip's like, well, yeah, Jesus, <laughs> and, you know, his foot in his mouth, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so we see that Jesus, so humble, so obedient, steps into human history in Nazareth, into scandal, right? Mary, what's going on, Mary? Sure, Holy Spirit, I don't know about that. That sounds a little fishy to me. Sounds like a nice, convenient uh, cover-up there, Mary. And so what I want to do tonight is I just want to continue on, and, and I want to see the humility, I want to see the sacrifice, and I want to see the love that God displays for us in the incarnation as we think on that this Christmas season. And, and, and I want to, I'm praying that two things will happen. One, that you will be encouraged by God's deep, deep love and compassion for you, that he would consider you worth it, that he would consider us worth it for him to come and to risk the pain and, 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 and the heartache and the difficulty of the mission, that he says they're worth it, right? You think about soldiers, you know, giving their life in Iraq and in difficult parts of our world, going to, going to battle, and that's humility, right? The pain that, that, that can come with that, they can lose their life, and so Jesus says, I, I consider you worth it, I'm going on this mission uh, for you. And then also I want us to, to, to be able to see what he does so that we can follow his lead in his sacrifice and in his humility, that we would accept the, the mission that he has for us. That this is his mission to seek and save the lost, but as Christians, those followers who bear the name of Jesus, that's our mission. That's, that's what we should be all about, is seeking and saving the, the lost. And so one thing that we as a church ask all of our members is, listen, we want you to not be just a consumer, we want you to be a contributor. We want you to have a, have a ministry. We want you to be plugging in. We want you to be 
serving. We don't want you just to take from Jesus. We want you to follow his example, his humility, and, and be a contributor to the mission. So Philippians chapter 2, we'll finally get into it. Philippians 2, we'll start in verse 1 and 2. Here's a little bit of background on what's going on. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. This is a church that he started. This church has a very special place in his heart. Uh, this church, as we read through it, seems like it's pretty healthy at this point in time. We know that there are some jacked up churches in the Bible, right? The, the church at Corinth is really messed up. I mean, really messed up, especially you read some stuff about them cutting in line at communion to get drunk on the wine. I mean, messed up stuff there. You look at the, 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 the church, uh, the Galatian church, and, and really messed up church as well. A lot of theological issues going on. But this church is doing really, really well. And, and uh, the reason I point that out is for us to see that just because you're healthy doesn't mean that you stop doing the things that, that have, have led you to be healthy. You get that, right? That just because you're healthy doesn't mean you're always healthy. We have to continue to pursue the things that, that led to our health because health fades. I mean, you can't just run and exercise and get in shape and then say, I finally got the body that I want. I'm good. Now I can eat Twinkies all day long. No, no, health fades, right? I mean, that would be beautiful, especially this Christmas season. You know, I was trying to get in shape just this past week a little bit. And I, if I just stopped and just said, Christmas time, let's just eat all we want, baby. That would be awesome, right? No, it doesn't work like that. You've got to continue doing what you did to get healthy. That's why Paul says uh, here that, that I want to continue to challenge you to continue on in your health because health fades. I think about us as a church and looking back on our history, even six months ago, you know, six months ago, I think we're at a, at a total, total different place than we are at today. I was praying uh, hard, and, and, and I think I was probably preaching pretty hard at times to us in terms of the direction we need to move in our health, and even just comparing then to today. I feel like we're at a, at a pretty healthy place for a church plan. I mean, we, don't, we haven't grown up these strong, incredible leaders yet because we're brand new and fresh, but in terms of the process, I think we're at a, at a pretty healthy place by God's uh, Grace, even just thinking through last night after the banquet, you guys, you understand that you paid to come to the banquet, right? You paid, and then we ended, and everybody started cleaning up. I'm thinking, we tricked them. They paid for this, and they're, now they're cleaning up. It's awesome, right? Because they want to be contri- It was a beautiful thing, beautiful thing. We're healthy. It's, it's a good thing. Now, let's read it. Philippians 1, or 2, 1 and 2. Listen to what he says. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, that third person of the Trinity, uh, and any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. And so, this is, this is an important thing that he says. It's kind of this beautiful start to focusing on their, their spiritual health. We can't spend a ton of time here, uh, but it, I think it kind of sets the stage for the remainder of where we're, where we're going. Verse 1, he says, If you have any encouragement in, in Christ. Now this word if here is not questioning the encouragement that comes from Christ. He's not saying, do you have it? If, if maybe you have it. No, it's, it's, it's a declaration of what is certain. Basically, we could, we could substitute with the word since. Since you have encouragement from being united with Christ. It goes on. Since you have comfort from the love that you have in God that would send forth His Son on, on such a wonderful mission for us. Since you have fellowship with God and with each other because of the Holy Spirit. Since you have affection and, and sympathy or love for, for one another, again, by the Holy Spirit. 
since you have this, since this reality is yours in Christ, verse 2, then act like it. You have it, now act like it. Keep acting like it. You're doing well, but keep acting like it. That's why he says, make my joy complete. In other words, you have been giving me a lot of joy because you are living this way. He says, but make it complete. In other words, continue to go with it. Continue to top off my my joy, and, and my joy would be complete to see you just continue in your unity with each other, your love for God, um, the, the commonality of the Holy Spirit inside of you, this wonderful unity, united in, in purpose, united in mission, and His glory, and He says, you have that in Christ, but I want to remind you, keep using it, keep using it. I think it's kind of like um, athletic capability, right? Um, I know it's politically correct for, for parents to to tell our kids, you can do whatever you set your mind to. You can do it, right? And, and just work hard enough, and, and you can do it. Here's the thing. I don't care how many times my parents cheered me on. I don't care how many basketball camps my parents sent me to. This white boy can't jump, right? This white boy probably has no more than like a five-inch vertical. It's just not happening, right? And so listen, don't lie to your kids. Don't lie to your kids, right? Don't, don't do that. I, I don't have it. I knew this guy um, in high school. He was a buddy of mine. And this guy, he tried out for the basketball team, 7th grade, 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, never made it. And then surely, I mean, everybody on the team was pressuring the coach, senior year. He's, I mean, he really, really worked hard. I mean, just all the time, you know, doing drills and going to camps and everything he could possibly do. And so everybody said, come on, coach, just let the kid on the team. You know, he's working hard. You know, maybe he'll be a miracle story, be a Rudy or something. I don't know. But let him on the team. And 12th grade year comes around, tries out, didn't make it. You know what? If you don't got it, you don't got it, right? You have it, you have it. And if you, this, he just didn't, he didn't have it. On the flip side, I find myself really frustrated. I, I found some of these guys in college who, you know, got, got scholarships to school for sports and then they just got lazy. I mean, they had the genetics. I call it, I call it the Division I build. And they just had the build, right? They could just jump on and, and, and probably be a multi-sport uh, athlete. They had it. Mom and Dad sent them to camp. They had the training. They had the genetics. They were ready to, to go. But what would happen? So often they just get lazy and fat, right? And I'm like, are you kidding me? You had, you had everything that you needed to be successful you got lazy, and that's, you know, that's kind of what Paul's saying here. He's saying you have it in Christ, in the Holy Spirit. You have it. You have it. Now you've got to use it. That's why 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it's a verse that I just love, says that we have all things, God's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. He's, he says it's yours. I've given it to you. you just got to use it. You've got to start exercising like-mindedness. You've got to start being in one accord because you have that unity. I've laid the groundwork. The same love, one mind, you have it. Now, read on, verse 3. It says, do nothing. Give me that word just to make sure you're with me. Do what? Nothing, right? Do nothing from rivalry. He's saying, church, do nothing from rivalry. In other words, listen, guys, we can't, we can't be one-upping each other, right? You can't be kind of trying to like out-holy each other. You can't be like battling in your heart. Man, look how great he is. I'm going to try to be greater in the Lord, right? I mean, it's just, it doesn't work like that. Uh, it's it, it just, it, it, it's, it's not honoring to the Lord. I bring it back to the locker room. I remember painted on the wall was, you know, the classic, there is no I in team, you know? Remember that? And then all the smart Alex would say, what? 
but there is an M-E in team. <laughs> There's a me, right? And so, listen, it, it doesn't work like that. If we, if we say, I'm trying to one-up each other, I'm trying to outlive you, I'm trying to outholy you, and what, what, what you actually do is you seclude yourself. You seclude yourself. You push yourself away from each other, and we're called to, to do this Christian faith together. That's how God uh, intended us to live. So do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Some of your translations might say uh, empty glory or vain glory. In other words, conceit is, is our attempt at getting the glory. When you're conceited, you're trying to get the glory. But who's do the glory? God's do the glory, right? And so our attempts at getting the glory are vain or, or empty. It will never satisfy. You can try to spend your entire life just getting glory, getting recognition, getting attention. You will never be satisfied. But if we are out for God's glory as a people, there's satisfaction in that as opposed to empty glory. We get, um, we, we get satisfaction as we seek the glory of the Lord. He goes on, but rather in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So this is good. Verse 4 goes on. Let each of you not look out for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Starts to kind of sound like a rescue mission here, huh? I mean, even thinking back to those, those guys rescuing the captain for the, the Somali pirates. And just incredible. These guys had families at home, and they're not looking out for their own interests. I mean, all these families are potentially being jeopardized for one man, right? And that's a lot of what men in the military do on our behalf. We're so grateful for that, right? They're putting their lives in danger and their families to be left without fathers and mothers because they're on a mission. And, 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 and that's, that's what we're called to do here is, is not look out for our own interests, but the interests of others. It sounds an awful lot like the, the great commandment, right? When the Pharisees say, so teacher, Matthew 22, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord with everything you've got. He says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I say this, I say this a lot, but I've got to say it again. Dream with me. I mean, I remember back when four years ago when God started stirring our hearts to start a church in Boston and our vision that God really put on our hearts was, man, what if we really did love our neighbors as we loved ourselves? What if we lived out the Acts chapter 2 kind of lifestyle, the great commandment kind of lifestyle? I'll be honest, I am not there. That's why I'm super convicted. When I walk into a room, the first thing I think of is not, how can I make other people comfortable? I think of where can I sit that I can get the best view, that I can not have an awkward moment. Where can I sit, right? We're called to look out for the interest of others, not just our own interest. And that is very, very challenging. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor's family as you love your own family. Love your neighbor's broken car as you love repairing your own messed up car. I mean, we can just go on and exhaust this. And just be convicted till the cows come home. Because this is, this is so difficult. So difficult. But we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. Now, who do we look to as an example of this? We look to Christ, right? And look back to the beginning of the message tonight. We look to God and His example for us in Jesus who laid it all on the line and came down to earth as a man. And... Uh, Paul explains as we go forward in this passage how it's modeled for us in the incarnation of Jesus as we celebrate Christmas, God taking on our humanity. So look at verses 5 and 6. Let's read it. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus. So, hey, you got, you got the equipment right here. You got the genetics. This mind, you can live like this. Don't, don't Christians, let's not, let's not be the Christians who say, yeah, Josh always talks about that, but that'll never happen. Impossible to really love your neighbor as yourself, to really be Acts chapter. You know, he says, it's yours. If you want it, you can live like this. Have this mind, right, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Let's, let, let's stop there for a second. Paul starts to really kind of lay out some very careful language here. I mean, he's very careful with this. This is some theologically very heavy stuff, and I'm not uh, a professor, and so I'm not going to try to like just kill your brains with this stuff right now. But let me just say, humility is perfectly modeled for us in Christ. It says, who, though he was in the form of God. Now, let's be cautious with this word form, this word uh, morphe, right? His nature, his form, his essence, his reality is God. He is God. It's not, though he was kind of like God, you know, he was really good. And it was, no, it's not what it's saying at all. It's saying he, he is God. He is the form of God. He is God. goes on. He did not, though he is God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, let's be very careful. It's, it's not saying that Jesus is saying, I didn't need to be God. No, he, he is God. He says there is one way, right? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He says, I'm it. So let's not let that be in dispute at all. He's saying, I am God. I, I am God in the flesh. Uh, I, I've come to earth as, as a child, uh, but I am, I am God. And he goes on and, and says, he didn't consider it a thing to be grasped. In other words, before descending and taking on the flesh that, that we know very well, before God's Spirit takes on the flesh, He, he, he says, you know what? I'm going to be obedient because I don't need to manifest myself at all times in this glory, but I will take on the, the flesh. And He doesn't consider it a thing to be grasped. In other words, He's kind of loosening up His grip. Just picture hands here. He's loosening up his grip on the God in the majesty that he is, and he's saying, I, I will willingly and humbly take on the flesh. I will come humbly. I will crawl in the mud, so to speak, taking on enemy fire, just constantly. I mean, they're questioning God, right? The Pharisees pridefully, constantly trying to catch Jesus and mess him up. It just couldn't happen, though. He did all of that so that he could rescue us. And, and the example of Christ here is, is, listen, he had every right to glory, but he loosens his grip on it to be manifested in the flesh so that he could save us. How much more then do we who have no right to glory, should we be humble? Should we let go of self? Let go of our needs and our wishes and our stuff and our money in our aspirations, in our dreams about me, 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 to say, you, Lord, you, Lord, your people, how can I be a part of your mission? I want to show you elsewhere, kind of sticking with the image of hands. You don't have to flip here, but you might want to write this one down. In, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6, he says this. Peter says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he might exalt you. So there's the hand again. Humble yourself under that hand of God. He's the one who loosened his grip. So you humble yourself under that hand and let, let him 
and his hand exalts you at the proper time. See, so often we, we spend our lives, I struggle with this too, just kind of trying to shape our identity. This is who I am. This is who I want people to perceive me to be. You don't know. You leave that up to God. You let God tell you and tell others who you are. You are a Christian. You are a follower of the Lord, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You are His instrument, right? And so humble yourself under the hand of God and let Him shape your identity and your your status. Verse 7, He made Himself nothing. Again, doesn't mean He stopped being God, but He gave up some of that status and privilege, right, to come into humanity as a child. And, and, and start to march towards the cross. And please see that, that humility in, in what Jesus has done here. The creator of all things taking on his creation, becoming one of his own creation, uh, where though he remains fully God, he becomes fully man. And he sets for us just this unprecedented example as he comes to earth, as he comes to his creation. Uh, he comes a virgin. Let's think through this a little bit here. He comes by the means of a virgin, so there's all kinds of scandal wrapped in the coming of Jesus. All kinds of people talking about their creator behind his back. What's, what's this baby all about? All kinds of questions. All kinds of finger pointing. All kinds of snickering. On top of this, at his birth, his only immediate visitors are who? Shepherds. Like the low of the low. These guys couldn't even give testimony in court. <laughs> and he comes to, to these guys um, so that they would be the first to, to see him. I mean, I think about if an artist came into his art gallery, right? That's what earth is. It's his art gallery. It's his creation. It's his creativity. And gets no recognition whatsoever. And he comes in to his art gallery and people question him. And then he goes on to live a, a life where he is, uh, for the first, man, first major portion of his life, he's working with his hands, with his, uh, I guess we can call him stepfather, Joseph, right? As a carpenter. I mean, this is God who would speak things into existence at creation. Let there be. Let there be. And he's working with his hands, building things. I'm always baffled at that idea. But here's God saying, I, don't, I just wonder if he was tempted ever, you know, as Joseph says, well, it looks like we got an order of, uh, we need 10 pews for the church. If Jesus is in back in the shop thinking, is Joseph looking? All right, let there be 10 pews, right? I don't know, I was just incredible, right? Incredible, but humbly working with, with his hands. That's, that's not all. He begins his ministry. He goes into his hometown and is rejected in his hometown. And they try to kill him. In his hometown, it was prophesied about, so he's fulfilling prophecy. They try to throw him over a cliff, doesn't happen, because it wasn't the fullness of time yet for him to, to be nailed to the cross. And then he goes and he doesn't associate with the cream of the crop, Jewish boys. But he, he goes and associates himself with the, the, the Jewish boys who were not still in school. They were working the father's, their father's trade, because they weren't maybe mentally the sharpest, right? think if, if it were me, I'd be picking out the Harvard crop, right? But he's picking out the, the lowest of the low. So much so that as he's hanging with these men, they accuse him of being a drunkard. And they just, they're just constantly accusing Jesus. He then heals very sick people. People who in their culture, you don't associate with them because you might catch it, right? You might, you might 
have some of their impurities. Maybe they were put into that position. Maybe they're, they're without sight or they're not walking or they have that, that leprosy because of their sin is what so many people thought. So by Jesus associating with them, he's, he's condoning it, right? Saying it's okay. And it's not what he was doing at all. He's, he's being humble. He's being who he is, God in the flesh, living and showing us perfectly how to live this, this life of humility, this life of counting others as more important than yourself. Let's read on. His humility certainly doesn't stop. Verse 8. It says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. And so, God, the source of life, takes on death. I mean, death is, is a result of our sin. And he was sinless. But yet he chooses to die as our substitution. He's betrayed by those closest to him. What happens when they arrest Jesus? All of his boys he's been hanging out with, pouring into, they split. They, they bail on him. They're hiding out. The, the ladies are with Jesus, but the other guys, they, they, they bail on him. So this adds emphasis. He, he dies, but he doesn't just die. He dies the worst kind of death imaginable in that day. He dies the Roman crucifixion on a cross. Uh, just excruciating. And he did so so that he could take on our sin. And I want us to understand as we close out tonight that, that Jesus was humble. That, that God, if he were a man and he did become a man and he did take on flesh, this is how he would look. <laughs> he says the Son of Man didn't even have a place to lay his head. We're so consumed with bigger and better houses and nicer cars and nicer things and all these aspirations for self. And yet we look at the example of Jesus and it's so contradictory. And he did so so that he could rescue us. And it wasn't, it wasn't even begrudging humility. It wasn't like, all right, God, Father, I guess I'll do it. You tell me to. All right, what's it say in Hebrews 12, uh, 2? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It's his joy to do these things for us. And so I know where some of us are at. We hear that and we say, well, I guess I'll be humble. <laughs> I guess I'll serve other people. I guess I'll put, it's not for our joy. And so we need to just pray. Because listen, the hardest thing for me as a preacher is to, is to try to preach us something and then expect us to leave and say, all right, I'm going to go do it. Listen, the whole point of our faith is you can't do it. You can't do it. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live the life that He's called you to live. And so it's not, let's go try harder. Let's go try to be more humble. How do you try to be more humble? You don't. Pray, God, let me just continue to look at you. Let me continue to look at what you've done. And as you're just mesmerized at the, the vast humility of the infinitely holy, infinitely beautiful, infinitely powerful, Creator God comes to the lowest of low, becomes one of us, and then dies this excruciating death. We just get our eyes on Christ, guys. We behold Him in His glory, and we will be transformed. And so we look at Him, we look at Him, and say, God, make me that kind of person. Make me humble. I want to. I want to look at you. You think Paul said, "Go be humble"? No, he said, "Go be humble as Jesus was humble." Look at Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. And so this Christmas season, let's be thinking about Jesus.
must be thinking about Jesus. Every gift, I'm trying to teach my kids, every single gift that you open, what's that represent? I know there's a, a Nerf gun in there. What's that gift represent? The ultimate gift of Jesus. And so, it was his joy to rescue us. And so tonight, we close, I, I pray that you're encouraged by the love that Jesus has displayed for us. And I also pray that you're challenged by the example. And you would get your eyes on him so that you can live that kind of life. And so, maybe for some of us in, in, in this, this closing moment here, you just, you just need to see that Jesus is offering you rescue. He's saying, I'm, I'm giving you rescue right now. And you need to receive it. I came and lived that life and died that death as your substitution if you would say yes. You would put faith not in your works, not in your abilities, because you're never good enough. Can't be good enough. You'd say, yes, I trust in what you've done, Jesus. I trust in that. And so I'm praying that you, you would trust in that if you, if you never have. It goes on in the, the last two, three verses here, 9, 10, and 11. It says, every knee will bow. God exalted Jesus, right? Jesus is no longer Jesus of Nazareth humble. He is God glorious and exalted. That's why in Revelation, John sees him. And what does he do? He falls to the ground immediately. He is unbelievable. So the scriptures say, every knee will bow. And so maybe tonight, you just need to say, I want to bow my knee on this side of eternity before it's too late. So I want to call you to that. And Christians, be reminded of that. We preach the gospel to ourselves over and over and over. We have to hear it. It's so easy to move on towards self-effort. And you can't can't do it. Jesus did it. I and mean, others of us, maybe right now, we just need to repent. Take this moment to repent and say, God, I'm so selfish. I'm so full of myself. I think of myself in just about every breath, every move, constantly thinking of myself. And so why don't we do this? Why don't we close our eyes? And in this moment, can we just take a minute to pray? Can we take a minute to, to think on the Lord? Maybe you need to repent and say, I'm so selfish. God, forgive me. Refocus me on you. Maybe you need to call out to him for the first time in faith and say, yes, Lord. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is truth. And we live by it. Knowing that every single word is breathed out by you, inspired, is useful. God, I pray that that we would hear these truths and we would act upon them. Repentance, confession, and faith, whatever we need to do. Lord, this Christmas season, may we see you incarnate in the humility that was displayed in that. God, I confess my own sin of pride, self-centeredness. Change my heart, God. I resonate with David often in the scripture and he sees his wickedness. And the, the beautiful moments of, of David's life were not so much him defeating Goliath, but it was him calling out to you after he realized how wretched of a man he was. And so God, may we be those kind of people, a repentant people. We thank you for your humility and what it means for us. In Jesus' name, amen.